This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We believe fundamentally that food solves hunger, that shelters solve sleep, and that housing solves homelessness. And if we're going to solve the problem uh, of those that are out on the streets that we define as homeless, we better solve the housing problem if we're going to have an impact. And that's why we established this framework, what we call a 10-year plan to end chronic homeless in San Francisco. That's why we established this framework, what we call a 10-year plan to end chronic homeless in San Francisco. Everybody, I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. And yes, we are back live in studio, live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and locals. Share, subscribe, tap that notification bell. If you have not, and that cold open there was in honor of San Francisco, where I spent a couple of days, as I am sure you guys know, I went to visit Elon Musk at Twitter in San Francisco, in communist California. Some of that video that we just showed you there in that cold open uh, was video that I actually shot right outside the Twitter offices. So really think about the, the juxtaposition of I'm upstairs at Twitter offices with literally the world's richest man. I walk downstairs and it is the walking dead, man. These people, they are drugged out of their minds. It's absolutely everywhere. We're going to get more into that in just a minute. And I'm going to obviously tell you all about meeting Elon and, and some of the things that I couldn't get into on the Twitter thread. Uh, and I just want to say before we start that I missed you guys. You know, I did not plan on not having shows on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't know when the last time we did that kind of thing was, but I got the call on Tuesday at about 5 p.m. Eastern. And they were like, can you get to San Francisco right now? And we scrambled and scrambled. I sat in the second to last row 32E in the middle and my seat would not recline, but I did it to go see Elon. And obviously it was, uh, it was well worth it. So we're going to talk all about that. But before we get to any of that, uh, something major happened in the world that had nothing to do with me, nor Elon, nor Twitter. Uh, Finland, which is a country far away, Nordic country. You may have heard of it. Uh, something really incredible happened in Finland. Uh, there is a 59-year-old farmer uh, who is the now first trans female ice skater. And uh, he went ice skating. And, uh, well, I don't want to say too much before we throw on the clip. I just thought I had to show you this because it's so wonderful when a 59-year-old man can go ice skating as a Finnish woman. Alkaa luistella naismoodissa, vaikka syntyperäisin oinkin 
mies. Ja tuota, sieltä on niin kuin 9 vuotta aikaa, eli siihen 9 vuoteen sisältyy aika paljon. Eli kun lähdetään ihan nollasta, niin ihan jo sitä, että pysyy pystyssä kahdella jalalla, pysyy pystyssä yhdellä jalalla ja sen jälkeen rupeaa niin uskaltamaan tehdä jotakin siellä jäällä. Niin ja sitten alkaa pikkuhiljaa kisaamaan ja esiintymään näytöksissä ja niin edelleen. Että sanotaan, että aika kivaa ura on ollut, mutta tietysti korona tuli vähän sitten väliin, että se sitten sotki, sotki kuviota. Mutta tuota, eteenpäin mennään ja homma jatkuu. Mahtavaa. Näiden EM-kisojen slogan on... The grace, the elegance, the femininity of that 59-year-old male farmer as a female, I, this, this thing, that was the move. That, that's where you could see she was starting to lose it. And anyway, I thought it was important that you all see that. It's, it's wonderful for equity, it's wonderful for diversity, and it's a very exciting time to be a male Finnish farmer if you've always wanted to be an ice skater. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, I went to Twitter, so here's what happened. Let's show you the first image. So the first image here, these I tweeted this out, Uh, this was after midnight on Tuesday night. I got to the Twitter offices. What you're seeing there on the left, that's just me uh, sitting there, obviously. I don't know what that little Twitter box was. On the right, so this, this office, you really need to understand. I'm going to try to paint this whole picture as clearly as I can for you. Uh, that is the commissary. You have to remember, they had about 7,500 people uh, working at Twitter. Not all from that office, but they obviously had hundreds and thousands of people Uh, working at that office. It, it's a ghost town. Now, I was there after midnight, but they have fired about half the people there. And also, before Elon took over, uh, virtually everybody was working virtually. People just because of COVID and then because they're a bunch of whiny crybabies who don't want to work, they decided not to go to work anymore. So they build these incredible facilities. I mean, they had, you know, you get coffee, you get wine, all, all the stuff that you guys know, these ridiculous things that these tech companies do. Uh, to keep these people there, these these man children, basically, or these children children. Uh, you know, they had ping pong tables and foosball tables and all, all of this stuff, arcade games everywhere. It's like, does anyone work? Does anyone work? Just to be totally clear, we do have a Miss Pac-Man upstairs and I only let the guys use it five minutes a day. Uh, anyway, that was, the, that was the office. And then I went upstairs and I met with Elon. It was a little bit after midnight. He had, there were still a bunch of programmers there. He's taken meetings in and out. Uh, finally, he comes up to me. We chat for a little bit. And then he basically says to me, not basically, this is almost verbatim what he says to me. He goes, he goes um, is there something I can help you with right this moment? He goes, he's like, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm really tired. I, I was out all day and it's late and I've been, I've been working for about 20 hours in a row. He's like, but if there's something you really need me for right now, I'll stay. Otherwise, can we do this tomorrow? And I was like, wait a minute, literally the world's richest guy, the guy's running Tesla, he's running SpaceX, Neuralink, Twitter, probably 18 other things, the boring company, all of this stuff. He's willing to stay to deal with my little Twitter stuff. Like that just right there kind of sums up almost everything else that I'm going to tell you about today, the commitment that this guy has to fixing this thing. So basically I was like, uh, no, Elon, you, you could go uh, take a nap and we'll, we'll do this again tomorrow. So let me read you the Twitter thread that I put out. So this is going to get into the nuts and bolts of what I learned about Twitter. And we learned an awful lot. Oh, and I, I should preface this by saying that the way this all unfolded is that about two weeks ago, I got looped in with two uh, engineers at Twitter because obviously I'm, I'm one of the more public people talking about the fact that something seems like it's really wrong with Twitter. There was a couple weeks when Elon got it where the engagement really seemed like it was the old days. It exploded again. And in the last few weeks, it seems very depressed. And that seems very odd. Like, it's like, wait a minute, you got 
Twitter. It seems like it was fixed, and now why did it get worse again? All sorts of people, usually somewhat conservative-leaning, but it's basically just not woke people, are claiming something's wrong. So anyway, these two engineers started doing a deep dive into my account. And as they were doing a deep dive into the account, I mean, really going into the code, they started seeing things that they had not seen before. So that's why this escalated to the point of, oh, Elon wants to see you. So all that being said, here is my thread with some of the nitty gritty. Spent the last two days at Twitter in San Francisco talking to engineers, product, uh, product managers, and yes, Elon Musk. Learned a ton about what's going on. Before I share, want to note that after a couple hour meeting, I asked Elon what I could share and he said anything that's true. Connor, just come back to me for one sec before we continue on that. I just want to hit that point because so we met on the second night for about two hours and it was me. Uh, Elon had uh, one guy with him. I apologize. I, I actually don't even know that I was introduced to get his name, but then it was me, Elon, uh, this guy and uh, David Sachs was with us. Um, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff, including politics and everything else. And that's really where he lit up when, and I'll get to that in a second, when we talked about some of my political awakening, which I think is similar to his. But think about how interesting that is, that at the end of the thing, at the end of the conversation, I said, look, I'd love to share some of this stuff. Is there anything you don't want me to say? Anything that's true? Like, and he didn't have to think about it. Like he didn't know what I was talking about with the engineers. I was sitting with engineers with their laptops you know, two guys with their laptops coding, asking me all these questions and I'm asking them all these questions. He had no idea what I had seen. So the fact that his default position was anything that's true, I think that that says an awful lot about the guy. Okay, here's the thread. Uh, a fractal Rube Goldberg machine. That's what Elon Musk called Twitter. As they fix the code, more problems arise. A delicate balance he likened to a Jenga tower. One wrong move, the whole thing collapses. They're working nonstop, and both times I met him were after midnight. I met with several engineers who were doing a deep dive on why my account and so many others seem to be absolutely crushed after that two or three week return to normalcy when Elon first took over. They still have more questions than answers, but they did learn a bunch of stuff. Accounts aren't just hit with labels that are obvious to insiders. They now found more secret labels, which are causing shadow bans. Uh, just so you guys know, this is what they found on my account, and that's why uh, I was called in. My account was hit with all three. Recent abuse strike, recent misinformation strike, recent suspension strike. It's unclear so far what these strikes actually do, but for sure they suppress views and recommendations they are trying to figure out to what extent. I also had many innocuous tweets labeled NSFW, not safe for work, or NSFA, not safe for ads, which affect visibility in the timeline. Also, there's an entire keyword database so that machine learning makes, us, makes, us, makes sure not to promote violence, porn, etc. but it's a mess of overreaching words. Literally, the word gay was on the keyword list, which would make you not advertiser friendly and harm the tweet in the algorithm. Backing up for a sec, they found the recent suspension strike on my account most interesting because it was from July, 2022, when I was suspended for calling out Jordan Peterson's unjust suspension. So though suspension was reversed, the action on the account remained, on the account remained. Elon was bringing in people in and out constantly and seems to be aware of pretty much every issue. He thinks maybe the entire code has to be torn down and start from scratch. 
At the end last night, he said that the whole situation is a flaming dumpster rolling down the street. So I assure you, they are aware of the problems and Elon and the engineers are there all night trying to untie this crazy knot. Some changes they've made, like the For You tab, have confused people and hurt engagement for accounts who have gotten the NSFA label without knowing. They also don't know for sure why things got so much better once Elon made the acquisition and why it seems far worse now. Some is probably related to the excitement around Elon himself, which also coincided with the World Cup, but that doesn't explain why it feels so off right now. We'll share more in a bit, but have to catch a flight. On a personal note, Elon is funny as hell, laughs a ton, and it's just really obvious he cares about Twitter because he cares about free speech and the bigger problems facing the world. He, didn't, he doesn't need this headache, he chose it. Also, huge shout out to David Sachs, who is helping Elon clean up this mess because he believes in the fight for free speech as much as Elon does. And massive thanks to the engineers who opened up their computers, showed me literally everything I asked for and were total pros. Oh, and one other thing for now, Elon really lit up when we talked about the shifting political landscape out and how anyone non-woke is now far right. That notion is deeply connected to how screwy things got at Twitter and he's working to fix it despite the huge challenges ahead. And then Elon Musk responded to my very wordy Twitter thread saying, accurate thread. Okay, so there's obviously a lot there. We don't have to get into all of the nitty gritty about the specifics, but the most interesting, the banner headline stuff is that they have now found stuff deep within the code that is affecting certain people. I gave them a list of a whole bunch of people all over the uh, the political spectrum to look into and they found various things on various people's accounts and some, some accounts that I thought would be hit with things, they didn't find anything. Um, But really I sat with these guys And I don't know if you've ever sat with like computer engineers before, but these guys, from what I could tell, take their work extremely seriously. They're they're so curious as to what's going on. That was the cool thing. Like to sit with these guys, they're opening up all these programs, pulling information all over the place, trying to make sense of things. But as Elon said, they fix one little thing. You know, he mentioned something that they had a little bug in Twitter spaces and they fixed that and then it crashed the Android app. And this idea, of course, that he thinks the thing might be so screwed up I mean, this is the most important communication platform online, whether you like it or not, and with all the frustrations we all have with it and all of those things, whether you like it or not, it is what it is, that he might have to scrap the whole thing and start again. And that, that, is, that is incredibly uh, interesting. He also, you know, he probably has some people at the company still who are not mission aligned with him, and he's trying to fix all of it. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. So now I want to talk to you a little bit more about my general trip, uh, because it wasn't just going to Twitter and meeting Elon that was uh, enlightening, let's say. I also wandered around San Francisco. Now I know I do a lot of stuff on this show about making fun of Los Angeles and making fun of California and the homelessness and the drugs and the state of decay and the general chaos and all of that stuff. But I have to tell you, completely joking aside, with no glibness or just nothing other than flat 
out, lay it out, here's how it is. San Francisco is disgusting. It is a absolute dystopian nightmare. The level of homelessness there, and it's not just homelessness. It's one thing, it's one thing to have homelessness, and every city has homelessness. There are some homeless people in Miami, not many, but there are some. It is a drug-infused uh, nightmare that felt like The Walking Dead. I mean, droves of seemingly gangs of people, but it's disorganized, uh, uncontrolled, sort of craziness, people wandering around with old clothes with blood on it, and, and it was disgusting. Anyway, here's uh, just a little 15 second snippet of wandering around town. Just enjoying myself, day here in San Francisco, beautiful town, nice weather, everything seems just fine. And uh, you know, just, uh, you know, having fun. Okay, yeah, you know, just enjoy. I am not showing you this to be gratuitous or anything else. I think this, when, what I kept thinking when I was there is for as much as some of us might talk about this and you know, you could turn on Fox and they show you, okay, the homeless numbers in these blue cities compared to the red cities. It was mind blowing to me. I, I lived in New York City most of my adult life before my, my eight years in Los Angeles. New York City, uh, wandering around at all hours in the morning, I was never once afraid. Like I never once thought I was gonna be attacked or mugged or stabbed or anything. Every second walking around the street, you feel it because it's everywhere. It is literally everywhere. And if you get like a, a 15 foot uh, you know, runway where there's no homeless people, just, and it's not, again, it's not just homeless people. It is major meth fentanyl addicts. People with no teeth, with, with, it is just, I mean, the smells were horrible, everything. But if you get a little runway where there's nobody in front of you for 15 feet, then there's just trash everywhere and needles and all that. So this is a video that I took. We, we just showed you this in the Gavin Newsom thing at the, at the open. But this is me just walking. I just put my phone out. I cannot believe I walked through this thing. Probably not the best, healthiest idea uh, to do this. But I actually walked through this. This is basically about, I don't know, 500 feet from Twitter offices. So you quite literally have the world's richest man upstairs. And then downstairs, this is what you have. And this goes on and on and on. And I kid you not, I mean, here's just some random pictures that I snapped. Um, that guy asked me for 20 bucks, the one with no pants on the left. Uh, the other guys over here, I, I wasn't some, I mean, it was just nuts. Like I can't even explain this properly, but I really, I was wandering around because my, my meetings with Elon kept getting delayed, which is why we ended up meeting so late. So I just had, you know, I could wander around the city during the day and I, I went to, um, Sunglass Hut, which was in what I thought was like a pretty decent area, but it's it's sprawling. It's absolutely everywhere. And I'm gonna link this obviously to everything that's going on politically today and, and everything else. But I think it's important that you see that. It's crazy to me that that's not on television every day. For these, for these liberals or these lefties or Democrats who think that it's, you know, it's that factory settings nonsense. Democrats like people and Republicans like money. Right, like that's what these people actually think. And if you think for a second that those tolerant and diverse progressives that run that city, you think they care about people, look what they have done to the people. And it's not just the drug addicts and the homeless people that they have ruined life for. 
I, I kid you not, when you see people walking in San Francisco, almost everyone walks with their head down. You're never gonna see anyone smile, I assure you of that. And there is, there is generally a sense of terror, an absolute sense of terror. I, at one point, because my meetings were getting delayed, I realized I had to eat. I was like, all right, I have no idea. I might be in with Elon for six hours. I better eat something. So I could not find a restaurant to go do because everything was so disgusting that I was like, all right, let me put in my phone. I'm just gonna put in steakhouse because usually you'll find a steakhouse in a somewhat decent area. So I went to go to Mastro's Steakhouse. If you've ever been to Mastro's, every, I've been to Mastro's in Malibu and Mastro's all over the place. They're pretty freaking fantastic, you know, high-end steakhouses. I walked there, it was, oh, that video we just showed you of all the, the homeless people and thing, that was me walking over to Mastro's. I walked there and outside there's basically four guys cooking something and it wasn't steak, cooking meth or fentanyl. I don't know if you cook fentanyl or whatever it was. But, and then I just was like, no, forget this. I'm not going in there. I, I had dinner at my friend's house. Thank you, buddy. Um, it, was, it was just unbelievable. Anyway, as long as I was in California for the two days, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna stay here for a day or two. I'll do some stuff down in LA with PragerU and I'll say to hi to a, a couple of remaining friends. Pretty much everyone has left. So I did go to Los Angeles and I have to say before we show you anything from LA, compared to San Francisco, Los Angeles is Shangri-La. It's a dump, but it's Shangri-La compared to San Francisco. I went in, I needed some hairspray, needed some hairspray. So I was gonna go to a CVS over there. I tweeted this one. Uh, walking into CVS in LA, anyone know offhand how much stuff you're allowed to steal without getting prosecuted, trying to decide which hairspray to snag? Uh, we did a little research on this. What did it turn out to be, guys? 950 bucks? You are allowed to steal. I mean, really think about this. In Los Angeles. Now, I did pay for it. I got some sort of Garnier Fructis gel. I didn't even get a hairspray. It was about nine bucks. Pretty solid, I would say. A good deal. Um, I did decide to pay for it because that's just, you know, I'm, a, I'm an upstanding citizen of these United States of America. Um, but you are literally allowed to steal up to $950 worth of stuff and they will not prosecute you. That means if you live in Los Angeles, you can walk into Best Buy and you can take a PlayStation 5. Connor, how much is a PlayStation 5 rolling for these days? About 500 bucks, so 500 bucks. How much are the games now? Probably 50, 70 bucks for a PS5 game? So 70 bucks, let's say you took five of those games, right? Now you're at 350. You could, you could get six games. According to my math, that's gonna get you to about 920 bucks. You can walk into a Best Buy, take a PlayStation 5, although I know they're very hard to get, so you may not even have one there, uh, and you can get six games and walk out of there and they will not prosecute you. And, and me, this schmuck paying for my own gel, just craziness. Anyway, there's been a whole bunch of other videos. I could have shown you a bunch more from LA. We'll just, we'll just do two that have been going viral. Uh, these were not shot by me, uh, but I did comment on them. Just to show you, you'll see why, again, I'm not doing this to mock homeless people. I'm not doing this to be gratuitous. We are right now at a really interesting divergence in America. We are at a fork in the road and it's becoming more and more obvious. Which way will we go? Will we go woke and socialist destruction or will we go freedom loving and capitalist loving and decency and all of that stuff? So here, here's a video from Los Angeles that's been making the rounds. Take a look at this one. What? Dude. You guys, you have shit everywhere, man. You got, an, you got a baseball bat, you got your... Go ahead, go ahead. I'll what? What? Hey, I'll send go it ahead. to the cop. Get out of here. What the Wow. 
Wow. Look look how look how crazy they are out there. You, you guys, when's the city you guys when's the city gonna come clean this up? Is that propane? I hope you guys are pissed off. I'm pissed off that they threw shit in my car. That guy has a cell phone. What the f is going on? We're gonna show you one more of those, but you really need to understand again, this is sprawling all over the city. I actually had dinner uh, on Friday. No, no, no. I had dinner on Saturday night. No, no. Dinner on Thursday night. Man, it was a crazy trip. I had dinner on Thursday night with some friends in Hollywood. We were at an extremely nice restaurant, actually, but outside, it's just, it's just insane. It's just that, and it's everywhere. And, and what's so interesting about this is, think about these last two and a half years of this bizarro matrix that we're living in. We have constantly been told about public health. We, we quarantined children, and we didn't let people visit dying relatives, and we forced people to wear masks and inject themselves with all this stuff. Do you think that, the people that are in charge of LA or San Francisco are doing anything related to public health. Can you even, let, let, let's just say this was all about COVID. You have all of these people doing drugs with no sanitation. Like, it's just absolutely insane. Here, here's one more and then we're gonna get to the other way you can go on that fork in the road. So it's everywhere, guys, you, you get the point. Okay, so what, what does this mean? If you're watching this and you're going, all right, Dave, I, I see it, I get it. These are, these are big government policies. These are blue run cities and states. Uh, what do you do? What do you do? Well, there are simple answers. It does not have to be this way, but it is consistently this way when Democrats take office because they purport to like people, but apparently not those people. And I don't think they like themselves very much, but that's a different psychological topic we'll get into another time. But why are San Francisco and Los Angeles like this? Why did a guy like me leave Los Angeles and move to a place like Florida? Which if you would have said that to me 10 years ago, I would have said that you were insane. Well, there's a very simple answer to it. It's good governance. Good governance, rule of law, doing the right thing, and doing basically the things that we all knew were sane, say 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, so what's going on here in Miami? Well, you may remember a couple months back, I interviewed Miami Mayor Francis Suarez on why Miami is flourishing and why it is not the dystopian nightmare that we just showed you from San Francisco and Los Angeles. The, the flourishing is every day I wake up and there's a new Los Angelino coming to my town. Now I'm starting to worry, but. And I've been in an elected office for 13 years, so maybe there's a correlation yeah. <laughs> between the 14 and the 13. But look, I, I think uh, you're right. I always say Miami's an idea, it's more than a city. Uh, and it's a, an idea born out of a trauma. What's the trauma? The trauma is many people in Miami were kicked out of their country of mm -hmm. birth, were exiled, uh, because a leader in their country said, give me all your businesses, Give me all your property. Don't worry. We'll make everything equal. And you know what they did? They made everything equal. Yeah. Equally miserable for everybody, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we are traumatized by that. And I think that's why Miamians are so fundamentally pro-America. We're so fundamentally pro, um, you know, sort of fair market and free market. Uh, and we believe in freedom and liberty, right? We believe in freedom and liberty. Our parents, our grandparents know what they fled. 
We're doing it right here. And we have a diverse city in the true sense of diversity. Not that that even matters. I would not care if all of my neighbors were white or all of my neighbors were black or half of them were Cuban and a quarter of them were Venezuelan and then we had some Bolivians and some Asians. I wouldn't care if they were decent citizens. That's the thing. That is the American dream. Nobody really cares. What you care about is, hey, you came here or somebody before you came here, are you gonna work hard? Are you gonna be a decent citizen? Are you gonna work to not destroy this, this tenuous experiment of freedom, which is not the default position of humanity? You only have to look at the history books to look at how precious this incredible free experiment that we have running right now, not sure how much longer it's gonna last. It's like, this is freaking precious what we have right now. The default position is to have authoritarian leaders and dictators and have most of the people living in filth while the elite live in their castles. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. But we are doing it right in some places. And I continued with Suarez. He, he talked about why other cities are going that direction while Miami is going in the right direction. So how does it make any sense? I thought you need, the government just needs more of our money to make things work, but you're keeping taxes low and, so, and we don't have you know, roads exploding and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so counterintuitive. How, how is it possible? How so, is it possible? So let's, let's, let me give you a real example, right? Yeah. If you are living in New York City right now, cost of living differential between New York and Miami is two to one. So in New York, the median home price is a million dollars. In Miami, median home price is 540, two to one, right? In addition to that, in New York, you're paying fifth. If you're in the highest tax bracket, and a lot of New Yorkers are, because yeah. again, your cost of living. Well, they're all coming down here now. Well, but check it out. Let's do the math, right? Yeah. You're paying 54 cents out of every dollar in taxes. That means that for every dollar you earn, you take home 46 cents. In Miami, you get 63 cents, mm -hmm. right? It is a huge delta. So what's happening now in the United States is very similar to what happened to Detroit at the Industrial Revolution, right? Which is that you're seeing this change from industrial to digital, and Miami is the only city in America that got the memo and has basically uh, built its entire economy to capitalize on what I call a tsunami of opportunity. And cities like New York and, and, and San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley thought they were too big to fail. And I'll tell you, Dave, they're not. Okay, one more time, guys. I'm not doing this to be like, oh, look how great it is. I moved to the right place and blah, blah, blah. I'm doing this to show you there, there is a blueprint. I always talk about the wider Florida blueprint related to DeSantis, but it's also happening at a city level. And then it happens at a town level. And eventually below that, it happens at a, at a community level and hopefully a family level. And then believe it or not, you know what it all boils down to? The individual level. That's how this thing can work. You know, I texted uh, Mayor Suarez right before the show started. I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a couple nice things about you on the show today and about Miami. He just texted me while we were playing that clip. You know how many homeless people we have in Miami? I mean, this is wild, guys. 640. And he said he's working to make sure that we'll have zero. He wants to figure out a way. But the thing is, our homeless people here are old-fashioned homeless people. They're not zombies. They're, they're not whacked out on crazy drugs. Of course, there's some level of drugs here. But the drug thing, this fentanyl thing, I mean, that, I'm telling you, I saw something that is very, uh, that is much scarier than what I really thought this thing was. And I thought it was pretty bad. A couple numbers just to give you a little context. So we have 640 homeless people 
in Miami right now, 70,000 in Los Angeles, 20,000 in San Francisco. I'm pretty sure I shook all their hands on my walk. Uh, and there's about uh, just under 600,000 in America as a total. So there is some real stuff to talk about here. Okay, and I just wanna say one other thing about Mayor Suarez, because look at this picture, the other, two weeks ago, dude, I don't remember if we showed this on the show, but two weeks ago, I take the team out for dinner. Uh, our, inter our intern, Joseph, was visiting. I took the guys out in Coconut Grove over here. We had a great dinner, and then I just bump into the mayor. He's just wandering around saying hello to people. A lot of outdoor seating in Miami. It was a beautiful night. He's literally just smiling and shaking hands with people, and, uh, and as I tweeted, what did I write there? I said something like, uh, Dave, uh, people often say, Dave, what's really the difference between Miami and Los Angeles? In Miami, you bump into the mayor wandering around with a huge smile on his face saying hello to everyone. In LA, the mayor can get you 20% off crack, on the street corner. Uh, and just, I don't wanna do any misinformation here. Apparently she can get you 25% if you know somebody. Okay, that's Karen Bass. She'll get you 25% off your local crack if you're in Los Angeles. So apologies, please don't delete me. Okay, so why are these, why is this divergence happening? And, and why is it widening by the second? Well, it's pretty obvious. One side has decided that competency has nothing to do with how you will hire people. It has nothing to do with whether you will bring in the best engineers, if it's at Twitter. It has nothing to do with whether you'll bring in the best public servants, if, in, if it's in the government. It's all about ideological possession. That is their total, that is the sum totality of what they believe in. They believe in identity beyond everything else. And if you don't believe me, here's black lesbian press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, explaining that, uh, yeah, uh, it's that. Um, I'm certainly not gonna get ahead of the president. That is not something that I can do uh, from here. But look, and I kind of said it at the top, the Biden-Harris administration is the most diverse in history. That is a fact. And we expect to, uh, we expect this trend to continue. Uh, the cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. The cabinet is majority female for the first time in history. The majority of White House senior staff identify as female. 40% of White House senior staff identify as part of racially diverse communities. A record six assistants to the president are openly LGBTQ. Nobody cares about any of that. Well, I can't say nobody. I mean, I guess you guys care, but no sane person cares. What we elect you people to do is hopefully keep the wheels on the car, right? We have a car, it's going down a rickety road. All we ask that you guys do, make sure the wheels stay on this thing because the road's in bad shape. We're about to go over this, this bridge. That thing's kind of banged up. Uh, could we do that? And what they do is hire based on diversity. And she's really proud of that. Like that is the pinnacle of her success. And it's the pinnacle, I would say, of the Biden administration's success. They have majority people of color in the cabinet. Now that, that's kind of interesting because we don't have a majority of people of color in the country. Um, so are you guys discriminating against white people? Actually you are, but somehow in your world, that's not discrimination. They have a, I think she said majority female, I think she said majority female identifying cabinet. I, female identifying, and it's like, yeah, we're the ones that hate women, it's so stupid, it's so stupid. But again, it goes to nothing about their expertise. Pete Buttigieg was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. It's a tiny little city in Indiana. And then they made him transportation secretary. There was probably thousands of people who are city planners and engineers who have worked their entire life 
so that they could have a job like transportation secretary, really look at the map of the country, figure out what roads need to be fixed. Do we need to do high-speed rail here? What's going on with the airlines? What can we do related to competition? Can, can the government get some regulation out of the way so we can fix some of these things? You know, we're working on an international tour in May that hopefully I'll have some more uh, info about soon. And we were looking at some flights last week and it's incredible to fly from country to country in parts of Europe. It's as cheap as like 65 bucks. Like I was trying to put together the budget for this thing and I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to buy all these tickets for all my guys. I don't know, is it a thousand bucks a seat to get out of the, some of these countries? 65 bucks. It cost me, I think it was 800 bucks to get seat 32E in the middle to go to San Francisco from Miami last week. So many things are screwed up, but that doesn't matter, guys. We've got gay Pete. He's gay, it doesn't matter. He's gay. Here's more from Biden and diversity. If you hire people based on diversity, you will not hire the best of the best. What I would like you to do is hire the best of the best. I don't care if our transportation secretary is Indian. I don't care if our defense secretary is a lesbian. And I don't care if, my God, if we hired a white person, the scariest of all things. But we do something else. We hire incompetent people based on diversity. Here is Dr. Fatima Cody. Uh, she is the Biden administration deputy of health for 2025, for this current administration. And she's talking about the current dietary guidelines. And I just want you to listen to this woman and you tell me if she's the best of the best. If you diet, you lose weight, right? The number one cause of obesity is genetics. That means if you are born to parents that have obesity, you have a 50 to 85% likelihood of having the disease yourself, even with optimal diet, exercise, sleep management, stress management. So when people see families that have obesity, the assumption is, oh, what are they feeding those kids? Hey lady, first off, is there some genetic component to obesity? Obviously, but do you see what they want you to do? They want you to think you have no capacity over your own life. They want you to think that if you drink a 64 ounce Coke with all of that sugar, and you eat crap all day and they lock you in your house and you don't exercise and all the, you have no ability to control any of these things. Do you know what you do have ability to control? It's your own life. It's the one thing that you can probably control uh, on this earth. You can control how much you eat, how much you exercise, but they wanna diminish those things. It's why we spent two and a half years of COVID not talking about, hey, get some exercise, that, that uh, obesity is the highest comorbidity related to COVID. We, we told people, stay at home, order in all the time, don't do anything, right? We, we literally closed gyms, we closed beaches. We told people, don't get vitamin D, don't walk out there. These people are all incompetent, but sometimes every now and again, it's worse than just incompetence. The same people who see racism everywhere, well, I should say racism everywhere, except where it actually, it is, actually is, they bring on people like Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar, who married her brother, Google it, it's true, eventually they'll re remove it from Google. She married her brother. Uh, she is a really awful person. She has been all for defunding the police. She has absolutely destroyed Minneapolis. She hates America despite being a first generation immigrant who moved here from Somalia, became incredibly powerful, and she spends every day trying to undermine this country that has been far, far too good 
for someone like her. Well, she was on uh, CNN yesterday talking to Dana Bash, and Dana asked her about her previous anti-Semitic uh, comments, and here's some doublespeak for you. So when you apologized uh, for the, all about the Benjamins <clears throat> comment, you said anti-Semitism is real, and I'm grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. What did you learn? A lot. Um, I certainly did not or was not aware that the word hypnotize uh, was a trope. Um, I wasn't aware um, of, of the fact that there are tropes about Jews and money. Um, that has been a very enlightening uh, part of, of this journey. Yeah, it's been so enlightening. Of course she knew exactly what she is doing. She, she's just a, like there's nothing we can do with these people. Like there's nothing we can say about them that would shame them. And then Adam Schiff, and Adam Schiff, I did not, I wasn't sure of this. I had to Google it. He's Jewish. And I just like to say as a Jew, we apologize. If I have to write a letter to somebody and just like, we don't want anything to do with Adam Schiff, I'll gladly do it. But he sits there knowing he is sitting with this vile racist woman and he does not say a word. But how hilarious is that's what the panel on CNN is. It's Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff, who completely made up the Russia collusion hoax, who now is running for Senate. He's a congressman. He's now running for Senate in Cali. So we'll probably get him. It'll be even worse in California. You have him, you have Eric Swalwell was the other guy sitting there. He's the one that slept with the Chinese spy and you know it's true because the media refuses to debunk it and Kevin McCarthy keeps saying it. And then you have Ilhan Omar who basically is an Islamist and, and at some level is at, at the very least, I mean, she's deeply anti-American. She defunded the police in Minneapolis. They destroyed Minneapolis and then she blamed the police for not doing their job on top of marrying her brother and a whole bunch of other stuff. These are awful, awful human beings, right? They really... There's just no other way to say it. If that is what you use your power for, I don't know how I can describe you anyway. So do you see what I'm getting at? Their priorities are so off, they're so far off that they're automatically by default damaging the very people they govern. And speaking of another one of those people, here is New York Governor Kathy Hochul. And I cannot believe that this woman, I know I call her Kathy Seward usually, I cannot believe that the people of New York reelected her, but they did and they will now get what they deserved. She still, this is this weekend, she still will not hire unvaxxed healthcare workers, even right now with everything we know. Take a look. Our healthcare systems seem in desperate need of staff right now. Uh, we've had ambulances waiting five hours at our local emergency rooms to unload patients. The hospitals, the nursing homes say they're waiting for DOH guidance on whether they can hire any of those workers back. What's the latest with that? It's a problem, but I don't think the answer is to make, have someone who comes in who's sick be exposed to someone who can give them the coronavirus, give them COVID-19. I don't know that that's the right answer, but I'm pretty sure it's not. So All right, guys, we're getting demonetized. That Botox bitch has no idea what she's saying, okay? The fact is that if you get the vaccine, you can still get and transmit COVID. More people who have gotten the vaccine have died of COVID than people who have not. And if the vaccine worked and someone walked in who was unvaccinated, then the sick person, the other person would not get sick, right? It's all so extraordinarily stupid, but they keep going. They cannot, that Botox bitch. That's a good line. We're gonna, we gotta use that one again. Um, it's just 
endless with these people. Someone, please, if you are in New York and you're sane, and I know it's a thin little sliver of people that we could say that about. I have a couple family members that are pretty decent, but like someone sue the hell out of her. The idea that the governor is saying we will not hire unvaxxed people while they're having these shortages, while uh, ambulances are backed up and emergency rooms are overflowing and everything else. It's like, if any of that is true and that's what you're doing, somebody sue this woman, put her on the penal colony of Ruripente. That's a Star Trek reference. I think it might be the first one I've ever made on this show. This guy, John Campbell, got a close-up of, uh, of her necklace. Look at this thing. The woman walks around with a vax necklace. Tell me this is not a cult. But speaking of cults, here's Bill Gates admitting that vaccines don't work and that's why we need more of them. Anyway, so antibodies, antivirals, we think we can also have very early in an ep and epidemic, a thing you can inhale uh, that will mean that you can't be infected, a, a blocker, an inhaled blocker. We also need to fix the three problems with vaccines. The current vaccines are not infection blocking. Uh, they're not broad, so when new variants come up, you lose protection, and they have very short duration, uh, particularly in the people who matter, which are old people. And every one of those things is, is fixable. Uh, in fact, doing that work is going to help vaccinology very, very broadly. Vaccinology? I didn't even know that. Uh, that was a word. Okay, fine. What does Bill Gates have to do with your health? How did he become this person that we are supposed to listen to about all of these things when, by the way, we've shown it to you many times before, we have all of the video of him lying about everything related to the vaccine, that it works, that you won't get COVID, that you won't transmit COVID, blah, 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 blah. You get all of it and they just keep marching on. That, when I talk about how these people are evil and soulless and everything else, it's not just because I disagree with them politically. I might have every disagreement with them related to abortion and taxes and foreign policy and everything. And you can have principled people on both sides of an issue. You can have confused people on both sides of an issue. But these people who get everything wrong and then they just keep marching forward despite reality, that is something twisted and evil. I don't know of a better... Uh, I don't know how to describe it better than that, but it just keeps continuing. So the other thing that happened while I was gone, uh, this is wild stuff, and you are not seeing this on mainstream media. And you must understand, if the mainstream media ignores something, if they ignore something, you must know that it is real. This is exactly what they do. And, and to even prove that, so you know, I go to Twitter, I release this entire thread, which with pretty incredible stuff related to what's going on at Twitter, do you think anyone covered that at CNN or Fox News or anything else? No, but if you go and you go on CNN site and you search Elon Musk or you search Twitter, you're gonna find all these hit pieces about him. But then when people find out interesting things about the code, the code that was supposedly used by Donald Trump to manipulate the uh, election with Russian bots, uh, they go crazy about that. But when reality hits, they ignore it. So ignoring is becoming the number one type of fake news. That's one thing. Okay, the other thing that I missed while I was gone is that Project Veritas, which you guys all know Project Veritas and I've, I've had, uh, what's his name? I've had uh, James O'Keefe on the show. Um, they do great work uncovering, uh, basically they get, they do, they do spy videos. People have accused them of manipulation, a whole bunch, but a lot of the stuff that they do is quite good. Uh, they sat down with a guy at a restaurant named Jordan Tishton Walker. He is advisor director 
and he basically said that, yes, they do want to mutate the virus, meaning they do want to mutate COVID and other viruses so that they can keep people vaccinated. This is, and then just watch this whole thing. This is wild. Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No, don't tell anyone this story. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. We're exploring, like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. We like, very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something like, you know, it goes everywhere. Something crazy. It's the way that the virus started and moving on. To be honest, like, it's, it makes no sense if this virus popped out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I know. Meet Jordan Tristan Walker, a director of research and development strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning at Pfizer. It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know, it's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like, there's... It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. So directed evolution is very different. Well, you're not supposed to do gain of function research with the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do like these like selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There not be any more outbreaks. Just like Jesus Christ. This is absolutely wild. This guy is a director at Pfizer. Fact. Okay. He is doing research with the mRNA vaccine, fact. And what he talks about there is something called directed evolution. Directed evolution. This is gain of function. And that's, he's playing these linguistic games around it. Gain of function, when you manipulate, right? What do they want to do? They want to mutate a virus. They want to gain a function of the virus. So you have a virus. I mean, this is, this is just like basic stuff. You have a virus that's out there then what were they doing at, at Wuhan? They were studying how do you manipulate that virus to gain a function of that virus so you can do something else, whether you want to weaponize it or anything else. But they play all of these linguistic games. So when the guy says to him that uh, directed evolution sounds a lot like game, uh, uh, gain of function, he's like, well, not really. But then you know he's laughing through it and he kind of admits it. And if you want to link this to our earlier story where we started today, remember, when everyone kept saying for years, what you guys do at Twitter is shadow banning. And what uh, Jack Dorsey testified was, we do not shadow ban. So when the Twitter files came out, you know what they called it? Visibility filtering. So it's the exact same thing, whether it's directed evolution, gain of function, or visibility filtering and shadow banning, it is the same exact thing. So anyway, this guy is now being exposed. These are his words, right? These are his words. He's being exposed by Project Veritas, and then James O'Keefe walks in, they have the aha moment, and then all hell breaks loose. Hey there, is this seat taken? You work for Pfizer, my question for you is, why does Pfizer want to hide from the public the fact that they're mutating the COVID viruses. Is this real life? I'm literally a yeah. liar. What, I was trying to impress a person on a date What's your by position? lying. And this please, is please, absurd. Please don't touch me. Well, this is not, by the way, Why don't, are you doing don't this? tell this anybody. Who is just working at a company to literally help the public. You f***ed up. You really did. Please read the cost. As soon as possible, it's very unsafe. Can you please unlock your door? No, no, don't let them leave. Please unlock the door. Give me, why is going on here? Oh, stop. Oh, stop.
Please unlock. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. Unlock the door. We're trying to get unlock the door. Unlock the door. I mean, it's like to catch a predator. It's wild. So anyway, look, more and more will come out of this, of course, but this will continue that divergence that we have in society. Much like the Twitter files, there'll be a whole bunch of people who see that video, who start thinking and knowing that Pfizer is interested in gain-of-function research, and there will be this whole other set of people, and, and it's a shrinking set of people, which is the, the white pill on all of this, right? It is the good news on all of this, the silver lining on all of this, uh, that will just take what the machine gives them, and, and the machine intentionally ignores the truth. So what is it that these guys have to do? Well, as I mentioned, Project Veritas and James O'Keefe are just back on Twitter because Elon brought them back. They were suspended a long time ago. Do you think they were suspended uh, because perhaps the government had been working with Twitter to suspend people? Is that such a crazy conspiracy theorist? Is that like so crazy to think that? I'm not so sure. So what do they do? They have to make sure that they ignore certain stories, but they also have to ban people, which is why they banned Project Veritas. It's why Robert Malone was banned and, all, and it's why I was banned for saying mandates were coming. And it's why Jordan Peterson was banned for saying that, uh, who, who was it that had the penis that got the penis back? And then, well, Ellen Page was Elliot Page or any of that stuff. There's so many stupid characters in this idiotic play that we're in. It's hard to remember all their names, you know? Anyway, here is a New York Times journalist. Her name is Mara Gay. Uh, of, co of course her name's Mara Gay. Uh, this is a woman who once said that the Rubin Report was a white supremacist talk show. She said that in the New York Times. I did not, I did not know that. Uh, here she is on MSNBC freaking out because Trump's gonna be allowed back on Facebook. Uh, you don't want to, uh, whether you're a company or an institution, you don't want to hand over the keys um, to democracy, to have someone destroy that democracy. Do, so do you want to be that institution that uh, really helps take down the country? Ah, so letting Donald Trump back on Facebook will help take down the country. Donald Trump, who was president for four years and we had a great economy, we had all of these Middle East peace deals signed, our border was way more protected. We had other countries paying their share into NATO and the UN and a whole bunch more. Uh, if we bring that guy back and we let him post on Facebook, we're going to destroy the country. I don't think we need Donald Trump to do that. I think the Democrats and the corporate press and everything else are doing just fine on that, right? Uh, but returning to Twitter and linking this with the coverage of the left and, and, and the disaffected liberals that I'm always talking about, what we need to do is expand this blueprint, right? The blueprint of what's working in Florida, which is also connected to the bravery of someone like Elon Musk, who, remember, the lifelong Democrat, had never voted for Republican until he voted for Myra Flores uh, because he lives, technically he lives in, in Texas, um, but now has said he will support Elon Musk. What we need is the whole bunch of sane people to come together, take the blueprint of Florida, export that, and, and, and let's see what happens? So right after I met with Elon Musk to bring this whole thing around, uh, the very next morning, he was hopping on a plane that night, even though I left him at probably 1.30 a.m. or something. He was hopping on a flight, going to D.C., and here's who he was meeting with. Yeah, he was meeting with uh, McCarthy. That's right, Leader McCarthy, right there. And they were meeting. He also, for the record, he did meet with Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem Jeffries is the leader of the Democrats in the House. But here is a guy who is just fighting for free speech, who has extraordinary 
influence and power. And he's meeting with the Republicans and the Democrats to, to hopefully ensure that places like Twitter, social media companies, and where our information, our information is sourced from and pushed out to the world, that it will be more impartial. Uh, I wanted to show you that picture specifically because as I've been saying for the last two or three weeks, I think the Republicans are turning right now. I think they are not gonna be as ineffectual as usual. I think they are gonna do everything they can in the House, at least to cut the funding for stuff. The House can't do everything without the Senate. And of course the Democrats still do have the Senate. Um, they can't do everything, but they can do an awful lot. So the left left Elon Musk. And you know what? The left left another guy. I showed you this tweet once. Yeah, the left left Jordan Peterson too. I wasn't a conservative until liberals kowtowed to radicals. Ain't it the truth? And speaking of Jordan Peterson, uh, Jordan Peterson was on a very small podcast on the computer machine. You may have heard of this thing. It's called the Joe Rogan Experience. Uh, and he was on a couple days ago and they started talking about what's going on with the World Economic Forum. What is going on with these people who meet to decide that top-down layer of we control you down there? I thought this was quite good. I've been trying to understand the driving ideas underneath this globalist utopian tyranny that seems to be developing from the top down. And I think it's driven at least in part by this religious vision that I already described, you know, that you have to construe culture itself, especially industrial culture, as the tyrannical father raping and pillaging everything in its way, which is unbelievably dangerous way to think, too one-sided. And uh, the, the, the idea that you have to impose limits to growth on people in order to have a sustainable planet. And so when I look at ideas like that, that first assumption, you know, the planet has too many people on it. It's like, I don't like to hear people say that because when I hear that, I think, okay, buddy, who exactly are you thinking about getting rid of? Right. Oh, well, it's not like that. It's like, yeah, it's like that. It has to be like it, that. It is absolutely like that. And like, I've really felt that I've been at war for the last six months. And I would say it's war because what I observed happening in Europe when I was there last was that well, and you can see this, you don't have to be in Europe to see it, but it's more direct if you're there, is that it's pretty damn clear that the globalist utopians are willing to sacrifice the poor for the sake of the planet. It's like, that'd be fine with me. Not really. That'd be fine with me if the consequence of your actions, raising energy prices, for example, actually pro produced an improvement in those things you wanted to improve. If, you're, if your cure for the planet is, well, you know, we got to put 350 million poor people in jeopardy just so that things are hypothetically better in 100 years, I think. Yeah, I don't think so, buddy. And also, it's a little bit too convenient for me that your prescriptions to save the planet are accompanied by this insistence that the only way forward to that is to give you all the power. It's like mm. there's a bit of a moral hazard in that, don't you think? It's like I'm just saving the planet. Give me all the power. It's like you want to save the planet or do you want the power? And let's, let's put the first, the second one first, because the probability that you're a saint or the Messiah is pretty damn low. Mm, 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 man, he's good. He just gets it. He's good. Um, look, this top-down thing, it ain't working, and we must fight it. And I love that Jordan said, I feel like I've been at war for the last six months. You know, I, I happen to know Jordan pretty well. I, I think he's been at war for a lot longer. I think we're all at war at some level. I think this divergence that I'm talking about uh, it's going to lead us to a very weird place. So we need more people to come down the path. 
that I'm trying to lay out for you guys right here. And I think it actually is happening. Um, but when you see that, uh, when you see a guy like Jordan Peterson now fully saying the liberals went bananas, right? When you see a guy like Elon Musk telling people before the election, vote for Republicans, not because he thinks they're so great, but they're better. It's like, that means one side has gone completely crazy. And how I wanted to close the show today, there is a, a guy, he is a Soviet KGB defector. He's long since passed. Uh, but in the 80s, he was putting out a lot of videos from lectures that he did. His name is Yuri Bezmenov. You may have seen some of these videos. They go viral every now and again. And he describes exactly how the communists, the socialists, the Soviets would destroy America from the inside. And one of the things that he focuses on most is how you'd go after the kids. You'd go after education. So you could just, you don't have to shoot. Uh, guns, you don't have to drop bombs, you don't have to invade, you could actually destroy young people's minds and then with a little bit of patience you could take over a whole country. Uh, here's one little snippet of that, you'll see it's a little uh, pixelated right up front but then it does clear itself up. Education, distract them from learning something which is constructive, pragmatic, efficient. Instead of mathematics, physics, foreign languages, chemistry, Teach them history of urban warfare, natural food, uh, <laughs> home economy, your sexuality, anything, as long as it takes you away, okay? Uh, social life, replace traditionally established institutions and organizations with fake organizations. Take away the initiative from people, take away the responsibility from naturally established links between individuals, group of individuals, and society at large, and replace them with artificially, bureaucratically controlled bodies. Instead of social life and friendship between neighbors, establish social workers' institutions. The people who are on payroll of whom? Society? No. Bureaucracy. The main concern of social workers is not your family, not you, not social relations between groups of people. The main concern is to get the paycheck. I mean, it goes on and on. We'll, we'll play you more clips from him over the coming weeks. Um, but what he's describing there is exactly the thing that Jordan Peterson now says he is at war with. It is the exact same thing that we spent a whole bunch of time over the last two, three weeks talking about at the World Economic Forum. It's not about individuals. It's not about personal responsibility. They wanna break down all of those things and they don't want social interactions. They want social workers. You will be a worker. You will be a piece of the machine. Nothing more than, the cog, than a cog in the machine. I would prefer not. And I think you would prefer not. And we got work to do. But nothing better to do than save the world. Guys, it's me Monday over at the Ruben Report Locals community. Uh, I put up a Babylon Bee headline. I just thought this was perfect in light of everything that I've been talking about today. Having maxed out taxes on California residents, Newsom proposes new tax on Florida residents. Yeah, nice try, dude. Uh, as always, guys, we have a post-game show, which uh, I'm really, really enjoying uh, doing the little slightly more relaxed, just getting to know you guys a little bit more and just doing a lot of that on, we do a lot of this on the fly, but doing a lot of that on the fly as well. You can join us right now. Uh, we usually go for about 10 or 15 minutes at rubenreport.locals.com. My full interview with former Secretary of State and former head of the CIA, Mike, Mike Pompeo, is up right now. And we leave you with a very, this is, of all our cold, cold closes, this might be the most disturbing ever. 
and I'll see everybody else in about 47 seconds. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.